Hey friends, thank you for pressing play and tuning into Women in Transition. I am your host, Tia Davidson, and you're invited to join me every week for transparent storytelling about life, love, and business. Get ready to laugh, to feel inspired, and challenged to get out of your comfort zone. We are all adjusting to this world of perfection experts doing it for the gram, when in real life, we're just out here trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. Hang on to our adult relationships, find the balance between side hustle and nine to five, and adjust to our new identities in marriage and parenthood. Each episode, I will help you see the growth and possibility in what's next. Are you in position for the next transition? Let's get into the show. Welcome back to Women in Transition with Tia Davidson. I am your host, and today I have my friend joining me by the name of Madeline Collins. Hey. Madeline. Hey, girl. <laughs> hey, girl. Hey. Madeline is a wife and a girl mom of two. She works as an education administrator supporting all hospitality and tourism programs for the local school district. Her ultimate goal is to be the best example of womanhood for her daughters and leave a legacy that they'll be proud to carry on. Madeline, please tell the people who you are as a woman in transition. Hi guys, Uh, my name is Madeline Collins and I am a woman in transition because I gave birth during a global pandemic, COVID-19. Okay, (laughs) can't wait to get into that. Yes. I wanted to share Madeline's story because this month is dedicated to Black women and their health. And Madeline was not only my primary resource and she wrote through my fibroid journey, but she also, as she said, gave birth to a beautiful baby girl in the middle of a pandemic. But before we get into that, let's get into the topic of Black women in health. Yes. So... I don't know about you, Madeline, but I feel like as a black woman, we can relate to the importance of finding a black woman doctor, right? So important. So important. And I've been seeing this topic a little bit on social media with black women, you know, sharing their stories about Mm -hmm. um, black women and doctors not listening Mm -hmm. to black women and things like that which is why I think it's important that we, that we find a black woman doctor. What is your own personal reason for why you think it's important for us to find black women doctors? Well, Tia, first let's think about it. Okay. So black women are three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy related complications. And a significant amount of these could be prevented, you know? So a lot of it, yes, has to do with, poor quality care, mm-hmm. uh, lack of access. But the biggest problem is that these doctors are not listening to us. Our voices aren't being heard. We're undervalued. And we're just not being monitored as closely as white women are. I mean, it's just, that's just plain to see. So with all of that being said, I have been very intentional about making sure I have Black doctors, especially Mm -hmm. my OBGYN, my primary care physician is Black, my dentist is Black. I mean, I'm just all about trying to make sure, yes, I want to invest into my community. And this, I mean, I was thinking about this before we were all on this Black Lives Matter uh, bandwagon, but, Mm -hmm. you know, 
knowing that someday I wanted to be a mom, I wanted to make sure that I was going to be taken care of. So I found me a black doctor and I love her to death. She is, she's the best. (laughs) I, I also, even prior to this whole black matters thing too, like it was all, it's always been important for me to find a black woman doctor. And I think Part of mine is because I grew up, my pediatrician was a black woman. Okay. And seeing, again, you know, black women, Mm -hmm. you know, in the roles and positions such as doctors, Mm -hmm. um, that was inspiring to me. I mean, I grew up wanting to be a doctor and oh look at you I didn't know that yes girl I I mean when I got to college that's where it changed I I started out as a pre-med major because I wanted to be a doctor but then you know the the science yes that's me see I've always been a creative but I thought I was going to be a pediatric nurse because my aunt was one, my grandmother was one. So I'm like, you know, I love kids. I love babies. Maybe I'll be a nurse. Then, you know, the blood, the math, the science. I said, you know what? Maybe I should tap more into my creativity. But yeah, so I totally understand that. Yes. But then in addition to that, I also, part of me feel like, you know, a black woman who has, you know, similar, you know, biology as mm-hmm. me and kind of right. like back family uh, history, health history as me can kind of like understand, you know, me better. That's true. Um, because they do understand they will be able to relate to your struggles. Yeah. Um, just us as a people, you know, high blood pressure, diabetes, um, and just in the world in general, feeling like your voice isn't being heard, uh, let alone in the hospital room. So definitely. So the, those are the pe- the perks of having a Black physician. Have you ever had any issues with a doctor not listening to you? Um, or have you yes. always said, okay. Yes. When I first moved to Dallas, um, so when I was in college, like my senior year, I was uh, diagnosed with hypertension. When I moved to Dallas and I found a PCP, a Caucasian man, and he was just trying all these different medications on me. And I just kind of felt like a guinea pig. I, you mm-hmm. know, I would tell him how one medication felt, made me feel. He would switch to something else. It didn't make me feel any better. And it was just like, can we get to the root of the problem? Like, I don't need to, to put a bandaid over this. I want to try to, you know, be uh, healthy and whole and, you know, try to look at me and see me for who I am, know know and understand my history, what my health goals are Mm -hmm. and try to meet me there. And he just did not. And um, actually I stayed with him for a long time because I was having a hard time finding a black physician. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I ended up going with a family friend of ours who is a black physician and, um, he's been practicing for a while here in Dallas. And so my husband and I, we just started going to him. We both go to him, which I also love because then he can look at us as a family Mm -hmm. and we can talk about family health goals Mm -hmm. and try to knock those things out. So I'm very happy where I am, but yes, I did have a doctor that did not listen to me and, I mean, it just made you feel powerless or, you know, how people say, 
well, diabetes, high blood pressure, it just runs in your family and yep. it's, you just bound to have it. Ain't nothing you can do about it. You know, I'm kind of like, no, we're going to try at least. Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. So I needed him to understand that and he totally did not. Ugh, I hate that. So we we know last month, July was uh, National Fibroid Awareness Month. And as I mentioned, you were my shero during my fibroid journey, whether you know it or not. I, I did know. not know that. I did not Where know that, girl? but I'm glad I could help you. You were for sure because, you know, like I told you, I really didn't know anything about fibroids. And I and this is another, you know, importance of having, I think, a black woman doctor yes. um, and just black women in health in general, because it's very prevalent for black women to have fibroids. And mm-hmm. I had no idea. And I was freaking out. I was freaking out. You know, I, know. I was freaking out. I used to text <laughs> you. I was like, oh, my gosh, like, mm-hmm. What are my options? Like you, like you were my doctor. <laughs> but you know what the craziest thing about that is? Not only is it important for us to make sure we have a black doctor to help educate us on things like fibroids, mm-hmm. but even within our own households and communities and friend yeah. groups, like we need to be talking about this. Yeah, I, knew, I always knew my mom had a hysterectomy back in the day. I didn't know why. Me too. Like I feel like everybody, mama had a hysterectomy back then because of fibroids. Yes. <laughs> Because back then, they didn't have these alternative ways to get rid of it. So they were just like, well, we're just going to take everything. Yes. And that's basically what happened. Like before my mom had me, um, she told me that she had fibroids then. And her doctor was like, well, if you want to have any more kids, you need to go ahead and do it. Because otherwise, we need to take all of this out. And that's when she decided to have me. I'm like, wow, this oh is crazy. God. And then my sister went through it. I have other women in my family that have them may not have had to have the surgeries or anything like that, but they are familiar and they, they have fibroids and it's just crazy to me. Like why does every other woman I know have fibroids? Yes. And they still can't tell you exactly where they come from or how you get them. And then that's what makes me think again, going back to the black voice Mm -hmm. in the medical field, like, do y'all just not care as much about our bodies to really do the research and find out about these fibroids and what's causing this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And don't just say, oh, it's because y'all using relaxers. Okay, give me something else. Okay, <laughs> look, cause cause my friend Google, like when I asked, like where the fibroids come from, it had I mean, it, it was saying all kinds of things. I saw the relaxer thing, I saw mm-hmm. red meat, like you know, you, you eat too much red meat. I saw that it was just in our DNA and our genetics mm-hmm. that we would get. I'm like, what? But doesn't that wouldn't that make someone feel inferior? You know what I mean? For sure. Like to just say because of my culture Mm -hmm. that's the reason why I have this Mm -hmm. disease I mean and it could very well be true but can we get some science behind this and get some education out here in these communities to try to rectify this problem if that's the case you know so I was very fired up about fibroids when I found out that I had them back in January 2015 Mm -hmm. because um Reese and I, Reese, my husband, we had decided, okay, we're ready to have a baby. We were excited. But me, the person I am, I'm like, okay, 
you need to go see your doctor. I'm going to go see my doctor. We need to get checked out, make sure everything's all good. You know, we want to have a happy, healthy baby. Mm-hmm. So everything's checked out fine with him. I go to the doctor. My doctor's like, Oop, your, your uterus feels a little firm. I'm like, okay, well, what does that mean? I've always had good pap smears, never had any issues. Yeah. I had to um, do an ultrasound. She said, like, you have a fibroid 13 centimeters. I'm like, what? 13 centimeters? So when I heard fibroid, I initially thought about my sister and she had the less invasive procedure, which I think is what you had, mm-hmm. um, where she didn't have to be cut. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I can do that. And uh, she said, nope, yours is just a little bit too big. We can't do it that way. We're going to have to cut you. I'm like, my mind is blown. I'm like, surgery, I've never had any type of surgery going from having zero surgeries to a major surgery where I have to be put to sleep and cut open it's basically a c-section with no baby exactly <laughs> no reward no reward <laughs> and I had just started working as a teacher well I had been teaching for a while at this point but it was January and so I'm like and you have to take six weeks off so I had to push my surgery back to the summer you know she was ready to do it right away because mm-hmm. she wanted to continue to grow but with my job I'm like okay I'll just wait till the summer um summertime comes I have the surgery you know then we had to wait six months before we could try to have sex again mm-hmm. and have a baby well, not try to have sex but try to have the baby so I had to be on birth control but um it was just a roller coaster of emotions and just, I mean, life just hit me hard at that point. You know, at that point I'm realizing, okay, heavy periods are not normal. You know, yes. uh, the cramping, all of that discomfort that comes with having your cycle is really not normal. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, like this is just blowing my mind. I felt like I needed to take another sex ed class or something. Yeah. So it was, um, very dramatic for me so from then on I vowed okay any woman that's going through this I'm gonna be there I'm gonna let you know everything I know because I didn't know anything at the time well you were definitely there for me and you definitely helped for sure with every (laughs) with like along the way because I'm telling you I was freaking out I was so concerned with the surgeries because Google I mean there's a lot of information out there but really not enough information out there about fibroids Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I told you about my experience with the doc, the first doctor that I had, she just was oh, a fact about it. She was like, mm-hmm. yeah, so you have this and I'm basically going to have to cut you open and, um, and it's going to be a big scar and, you know, tell yeah. me all the things I, you don't want to hear. Like what? Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, no empathy, just no empathy. And she was a black woman. So that's so sad. Yeah, it, girl, that was a whole thing. And I, yeah. and the whole experience was just terrible. That's why I had to blog about it. But mm-hmm. when I found my girl, you know, when you find your girl. When you find your girl. <laughs> girl, that's, that, that's changed your world. <laughs> yes, you be so loyal. I've been going to my doctor for 10 years now. Oh, wow. 10 years since I've been in Dallas. I've been going to her, so... That's my girl. She yes. did my myomectomy. She delivered both of my babies. Yes. Like, I feel like we could go out and have some drinks. Like, that's my girl. Yes. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. 
did you have any uh pregnancy issues from you know after from after you had your your surgery and then having uh getting pregnant with your first child did you have any kind of complications from it well yeah well they told me you know after you have the myomectomy and get the fibroids removed you're gonna be so fertile uh you, you might get pregnant right away so that's why you know she was like, we want to make sure you don't get pregnant within the first six months. So she had me get on birth control. But then she said, even once you get off the birth control, you still may be really fertile. Girl, I didn't get pregnant until July of 2016. I was pregnant at your wedding. Oh, wow. <laughs> and didn't know it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it took me a little over a year to actually get pregnant. And then Audrey was born March 14th of 2017. Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. And, <laughs> and now you're the mother of two beautiful girls. Two girls. Two oh, girls. My house is crazy right now. I have a three-year-old and a three-month-old. I know. I saw, I saw the photos today on your timeline. So yes. cute. Thank you. So you were recently featured on TexasHealth.org and you shared your story on giving birth during a pandemic. Yes. Let's get into that. Initially, how did you feel? Because I know the hospitals were really full at the time and they were allowing visitors to Mm -hmm. accompany patients at all. And I was like, oh, I would not want to be pregnant right now. So, you know, yeah, I I really feel bad for like first time moms mm-hmm, mm-hmm. going out, going through all of this for the first time, and it's just like you don't know what to expect. You're already nervous, and then you got a pandemic on top of that. So I really I felt worse for them, and I also I just felt blessed that this was my second go round, and I kind of knew what to expect as far as just regular old pregnancy stuff. Mm-hmm. So the only thing new to me was COVID and those COVID procedures. But um, actually my doctor prepared me and made sure that, um, you know, as the new rules kept rolling out, because at first, you know, Reese was able to go to the doctor appointments with me. Um, he couldn't go in the back, but he could stay in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Then they changed it to where, uh, he couldn't be in the building at all. He had to drop me off and I had to go to the appointments by myself. And then they said, well, you can't have any visitors. You can only have one support person and that's it. Wow. And your support person is sick. They can't even be here. Then you would have to deliver by yourself, which almost happened. I don't think you know this, but we had a little scare a week before I was scheduled to deliver. Oh no. So I thought my water broke. So I, we rushed out of the house, rushed to the hospital. Um, we have our bag packed, everything ready to go. All the while, I'm nervous because Reese has really bad allergies and he had a cough. Mm. And all this time, I've been saying, baby, you may want to get that checked because, God forbid, my water breaks and, you know, they won't let you come in. And this is what was happening. And so we get to the hospital. They do that little check. They check your temperature. They ask you these questions. He had a cough. They told him he had to go back home. Oh, no. Just a minute. I mean, I'm a mess. I'm hysterical. I'm like, okay, so who can I call that can be here with me? Luckily, my sister, 
you know, was able to, we called her. She was like, okay, I'm on my way. She was there in like 15, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then for Reese, I'm like, well, can he at least sit in the lobby? Can he? They were like, nope, he has to leave the premises. Oh, no. Oh, my heart is racing. Of course, now my blood pressure really high. (laughs) Okay. So, but, um, you know, they checked me and everything and I was fine. My water hadn't really, I really wasn't in that situation. So they sent me home. But I was like, thank God I did that because, thank God we went through that because then it kind of lit a fire under us mm-hmm. and Reese called his doctor and was like, I need you to call me something in real quick. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> because I cannot miss my baby's birth. Like I cannot not be there for my wife. So um, his doctor put him on a strong medication. They got rid of that cough in a week and then everything was good after that. But yeah, he was the only person that could be with me. It was very scary. Um, My two day stay ended up being a one week stay because my blood pressure was out of control. I think I was just really nervous and concerned about just being there period, you know, knowing everything that was going on yeah but you know they eventually let us go yes and then somebody told me uh the COVID floor is right above you I'm like what above me (laughs) (laughs) so Maurice I said you cannot leave this room okay (laughs) they have to order a pizza have it delivered or something but you cannot leave this room so yeah it was very very scary but the hospital that I was that I went to was uh they had a great team. They were very supportive. Um, they always let me know what was happening. If anything was changing, they let me know in advance. They really prepared me. And I think they had just um, more empathy for the pregnant women during that time because they knew how scary it was. So everybody was just being extra helpful. I mean, they prayed with me, even though they weren't really supposed to um, when I was released from hospital, they did like a, a little dance for me before I left and everybody was clapping and laughing and just really genuinely happy for me. Like I really felt the support. Oh my God. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if everybody's hospital is like that, but okay. um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so, Madeline. <laughs> but I, I'm telling you, I mean, I drive, I don't, I live in the Southern sector and I drive all the way to Plano to my yeah. doctor, which is like a 45 minute drive for anybody that's listening and doesn't know the DFW area. But I drive that far for, you know, quality care. It's yeah. worth it. Quality care is definitely worth it. And yeah, if I was in a pandemic and pregnant, I would definitely um, want that experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were super sweet. Um, I've been there for both girls and my myomectomy. So I've always had a positive experience. So when they asked me um, to be featured, then I, I mean, all I wanted to do was encourage the next mom who plans to have their baby there to let them know that um, they were in good hands. That is so nice. So it was, so basically like the procedure, I guess from outside looking in, it's like mm-hmm. they made, the experience as normal as possible but also put a little sauce on it with the encouragement there you go nature is what Mm -hmm. i'm gathering Mm -hmm. yes yes that is so great yeah i don't think that's normal but that is very (laughs) 
Because <laughs> I, because the way, like, again, I don't, I'm not, I have not been in nobody's hospital. I ain't had nobody's baby. I'm just imagining, like, you know, going to the hospital where everybody is just on edge. You know, they ain't really been sleeping. They've been working around the clock, and you know, you yeah. can get, you can wind up in a situation where the complete opposite you know, uh, people just like, oh, let's just get get them in, get them out, you know, type mm-hmm. thing. And, and let's just make room for the, you know, for the right. next person. Right. So I just imagine it to be so chaotic, but your experience sounds very magical. <laughs> you say magical to you? I'm sure they were, well, I know for sure that they were stretched. Uh, the nurse staff was stretched on that floor because there were some nurses that typically didn't work, um, the postnatal section, they normally just work with the infants in the nursery. And so they were all, it was like all hands on deck. But like I said, everybody I think was so empathetic to those moms because it's just, you know, it's a scary time and, and you're, you're in the midst of such a miraculous thing happening in your life, you know, giving birth, yes. giving life to a, a new being you know, and then you have all this darkness around you. So it was like, it was almost like they were trying to bring as much light as they possibly could and put themselves aside. So Aww. it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. That is nice. So you are a wife, you're a mother of two, and you work full time. And, <laughs> look, look, and we've been living in a very stressful time where we need to preserve our mental health. Very important. Very important. <laughs> so how do you find balance in life's demands while taking care of everyone's needs, including your own? First of all, that is very hard. Um, and it's a daily struggle. I'm not even going to sit here and act like I have it all together because I don't. Um, I have to be intentional and I have moments and then I have to like snap myself out of it. So I have to give myself grace. Uh, my life, I have to tell myself, your life is not going to be IG perfect. It's just mm-hmm. not. And it, that's just not reality. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have to give myself grace and say, all right, what did I do well today? Um, I was able to feed my family. I was able to do a load of laundry and I got my work done. Okay. I probably didn't comb this little girl's head and (laughs) this one probably should have got her diaper changed a little while ago, but you know what? I'm, I'm getting to it, (laughs) you know? So I have to just give myself grace. Um, Ask for help is another thing that's always been hard for me, but I'm like during this time, I was just basically forced into it. So family, friends, and even just outsourcing things if you're able to. So, well, during the pandemic, I don't know, but like if you could have somebody come clean your house or mm-hmm. just having something delivered to eat, not necessarily cooking, you know, just kind of let some things go and ask for help. Um, I also talk to a health coach or if you want to have a therapist or something like that. But mm-hmm. I think it's always good to have somebody that, can be a sounding board for you where you can just sit and get your thoughts out and just kind of realign yourself and make sure you're in a good place. When I had Audrey, my oldest, um, 
it was very hard, the whole postpartum thing and the anxiety of Mm -hmm. just trying to learn how to be a new mom, still be a good wife. It was tough for me. So this time I just made sure that I was fully equipped and ready. So I have a health coach that I talk to once a week, uh, twice a week right now. And she just asks the right questions and uh, gives me advice on how to stay healthy mentally, physically, and uh, make sure that I'm on track with the goals that I have for myself, be it small or big. So that's always good. And then I just try to make time for myself. The other day, actually yesterday, both girls were asleep and Reese was working in his office. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, it's quiet. I poured me a glass of wine. I did a, a, a cleanse. I did like a mini facial. I was doing my cleanser and I did my mask. And, you know, I was at my music playing and a little candlelit. Like it's the middle of the day. Good. And I probably had like 45 minutes, but I got it in and I had a good time by myself. <laughs> yes. You just have to find those little pockets of time to just mm-hmm. do something you want to do. Yes. Go, go, go for a run, you know, get into your prayer closet, go mm-hmm. get, grab you some Chick-fil-A and eat it in your car when you don't have to share it with nobody. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. whatever makes you happy. You know, yes. especially during COVID because you, you're not really going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So to run through a drive-thru and just sit in your car and eat can be magical. Like, <laughs> this is Me everything. Time. Yes. Yeah. So no, I love that. That's, that's what I try to do. Give myself grace, ask for help when I can, mm-hmm. talk to somebody and just try to make time for me. That ask for help part is, is it right there. Cause that is hard. That's yeah, the hardest that, one. That's the hardest. That's hard for everybody, anybody. Yeah. For sure. Especially in our culture. Yes. Because exactly. we're supposed to be so strong. Uh-huh. <laughs> Independent. We got yeah. it, you know. But no. Exactly. But the people that know you and know you the, the best and who love you know when that's difficult for you so I have people in my life like that who I really don't even have to ask they just jump in you know I've had people uh come by and they know they have to quarantine and do all of that but they'll come by and just start washing dishes or let me let me follow these clothes that's in her dryer you know so those are the things where it's just like oh thank you so much thank you so much like I have no idea you know, people always say, what can I do for a new mom? I'm like, oh, girl, <laughs> go over there and wash her dishes, okay? Mm-hmm. Go take her something to eat uh, while she's breastfeeding, pass her her cell phone, get her a glass of water. Like, yeah. Things like that that people probably wouldn't normally think of that would mean so much. Acts of service. Acts of service, there you go. <laughs> That that's the that'll be the new mom love language. If it wasn't before, it definitely will be then. Yes, absolutely. Even in the marriage. Even in the marriage. For you know, your love language will change. For sure. You have some kids. For sure. Speaking <laughs> of, how has motherhood affected your marriage? Since we've become parents, I mean, we've really had to learn how to communicate differently. Um, like for example, checking in with each other more because you get so wrapped up in the day to day. Oh my God. Okay. I got to do this for this one. I got to do this for this kid. 
got to make sure I'm doing this for work. And it's just like, it's kind of, you know, reassuring when your spouse is just like, hey, you good? You mm-hmm. need anything? Like, and to do that often. Um, and then also just in, on the flip side, you have to be honest about how you're really feeling. And so that was something that I had to kind of open up to because Reese would know something is going on, but he don't really know, like, what to do to try to help you. So he's just yeah. kind of, because in our head, it was like, I mean, don't you see what needs to be done around mm-hmm. here? Mm-hmm. But no, you have to tell him, like, you know what? Yeah, I'm tired and I need a nap. Can you take her so I can go lay down? Can you give me like 30 minutes, 45 minutes? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a problem with Audrey. Like that communication barrier was not working really well mm-hmm. with us. But this go around, I think we're kind of, we're learning from our mistakes mm-hmm. at that time and trying to be better. So we're checking in more, being more open about our needs. Um, I don't know. And it's kind of encouraged us to be more patient with each other mm-hmm. because like right now we're very sleep deprived. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Baby girl still getting up twice a night. So and we take shifts, you know, to give, allow each other time to go to sleep. But when your sleep is being interrupted, it's mm-hmm. just, it's not the same as a full straight eight hours of sleep or whatever the goal is. Right. So we have to give, we have to be patient with each other and give each other grace because one day you may not feel like being bothered. You don't want to be bothered with your husband or the kids and vice versa. Right. So you may be walking around with a little attitude, but it's not really directed at that person or the people in that house. It's just um, repercussions from um, being sleep deprived and just tired and this is how the body reacts. And so, you know, it's all good. I don't take it personally. He doesn't either. It's just like, okay, baby is tired right now. So I'm just going to let her be mm-hmm. and vice versa. So we try to, you know, do that. And it's, it's kind of worked for us. That's, that sounds like it is. Sounds like it's good. It definitely takes teamwork to make the dream work. I mean, I, I take my hat off to single moms. My mom was a single mom and mm-hmm. I just don't know how y'all do it. I, I have no, I can't even imagine. So I have friends who are single moms and I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe. Like I, I don't, I don't know how y'all do it. I just yeah. don't. Oh my gosh. So how can Reese be more supportive in the transition that you're in and how is he adjusting to everything? Um, well, right now, you know, um, like I said, our biggest thing is making sure we communicate Mm -hmm. well. So that's, you know, the main thing. Yeah, that's the main thing. We don't have that struggle as much as we did when we had Audrey. I I feel like when we had Audrey, it was, oh, I would have had a whole book to give you on that one. But (laughs) um, because, you know, I feel like innately, as women yeah. we feel like they should just know they yeah know what we need they should know uh-huh. what we want and we shouldn't have to communicate every little thing but we do yeah for sure <laughs> we have to we have to spell it out for them and um so communication is always the biggest thing with us um mm-hmm. okay. you know communicating to me your schedule and me communicating my schedule and what you got going on especially with both of us working from home 
Mm-hmm. And we have two in the house. So it's like, okay, what time is your meeting? And my meeting is at this time. And, you know, then we'll kind of bring it together. But that's been the, the biggest thing for us. But as far as how he's adjusting, you know, he's in a house full of women. Okay. So exactly. that's why I'm like, uh, checking on, checking on the man. Like girl, he is like, I know one day he was like, I just, I need to go for a drive. He was like, all these emotions. And I'm like, you know, I, okay. I was just like, okay, but do what you gotta do. <laughs> I need you to take care of your mental health so you can come back and be here for us. <laughs> okay. okay. So I'm not going to stop you from that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's in a house full of women, so he, I mean, the estrogen becomes a bit much, and (laughs) we are all, like, all over the place. Audrey is crying because, you know, she just, she don't want her daddy to mess up her hair when he put her shirt on, and, (laughs) you know, Giselle is crying just because she's three months old, and she don't know what's going on around her, and then I'm frustrated because I'm sleepy. Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. That is hilarious. And him just being a man, just where everything is so black and white, and he's yes. looking at the three of us like, um, I'm gonna see y'all later, okay? I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna go to the driving range and just hit a couple of balls. Okay. I'll be back. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. So (laughs) what has been the hardest part about raising daughters so far? And what have you learned about yourself during this transition? The hardest part is just, I guess for me, I'm trying really hard to change this narrative that our society places on women. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like it's my responsibility to instill in our girls that, you know, their skin is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Their hair is gorgeous. It's not nappy. Um, your voice will be heard. You're smart. You will break glass ceilings. Like I'm just trying to like break all these barriers that society automatically puts up against us as women and then as black women. So I just want them to feel like they're all they were already born complete. Mm. And that they're never alone. Like, mom's going to always be here for you. You're going to have your own little girl tribe. Like, you got this. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I've learned about myself, though, I've just learned that my girls are watching me every single day. Like, Audrey is three, but she's doing everything she sees me do. Mm. So I'm definitely not perfect. But I'm willing to recognize my faults and try to be better. Like giving birth during this pandemic has just taught me patience and how to dive deep into who I am, how I can be better for my husband and for my girls. And that's really what's most important. So I'm just trying to be the best example I can be for them. That is so beautiful. Girl, stop. (laughs) No, that was great. That is so nice. That's so real though. Like, you know, I I feel like growing up, our moms, they talk to us. Like my mom, I could talk to my mom about anything, just like you and your mom. Yeah. Um, But I just feel like we're living, things are changing now. Things are changing. Um, Our girls are growing up Mm -hmm. in a whole new world and I need them to feel like, 
somebody's got their back regardless. Yes. If today you wanted to be a doctor, but tomorrow you're a content creator. Okay, boo. Yep, that's right. That's what we're going to yep. do. I'm going to cheer you on. We're going to do this. I'm going to help you write that business plan, whatever it takes. Yes. You know, I just want them to feel like they can do anything and that their mom is going to always be there. 100% supporting them, holding their hands along the way. No, that that is, that's beautiful. And it's very true. And it's very needed because in, like you said, in the world that we're in, you know, with social media and certain forms of beauty, you know, always in the forefront and being, you know, being their support and their encouragement and instilling confidence in them the way that they look, the color of their skin and the way that they wear their hair, et cetera, like it's very important. And, and I think a big part of me and my mom's relationship is just like what you just said, a feeling like no matter what, I got your back. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. you know and that's gonna be encouraging and you know I grew up just feeling like I could do anything because mm-hmm. that's exactly like how I grew up and so when you feel like you could do anything the world cannot tell you what you can't do because mm-hmm. you you've grown up hearing that over and over again and that stays with you right so not not only am I going to encourage you that you can do anything but I'm gonna help you do it yes like we, yeah. we're going to do this. You want to try that? Okay, let's do it. And that's <laughs> going to be the difference too from, you know, with our generation with helping, mm-hmm. because I feel like, you know, our parents, while well, I can speak for mine, it, it was limited on what they could help me do because yeah. they didn't have the knowledge or the education mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, to help well, the money, the finances. Exactly. exactly. So but now there's no excuse. We have too much information at our fingertips to, not be able to accomplish our goals or be better in general. Exactly. So no excuses. We're getting no it done. Excuses. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're going to take a small break and we'll be right back. Are you an entrepreneur who needs some encouragement from time to time, but you're tired of listening to boring affirmations that put you to sleep? I understand. That's why I created something we can bounce to. My name is Z and I want to invite you to download my album, Crowned Affirmations, the ultimate soundtrack of encouragement for entrepreneurs. Crowned Affirmations is helping so many of us stay the course. Stream Crowned Affirmations on all digital music outlets today. All right, guys, we are back. Thank you so much, Madeline, for sharing your story, talking to us about your journey with fibroids, with your experience as a COVID pregnant woman (laughs) and and your journey from, you know, working mom and wife life and all of that good stuff. I just have one last question for you. Okay. Um, What are some things you feel like people should be aware of when it comes to motherhood and what should be talked about more? Yes. Uh, let's see. Motherhood. Motherhood can be daunting, uh, but yet so beautiful. Um, there are a lot of things that people don't talk about. People don't talk about fibroids. People don't talk about uh, pregnancy and childbirth advocacy. People don't talk about the things that are normal and not normal. They don't talk about postpartum. They don't talk about uh, how morning sickness 
is not just morning sickness. It could be evening sickness and the whole first trimester sickness or the whole pregnancy sickness. <laughs> like there are so many little things that I know when I was going through it with my firstborn, I was just like, oh my God, nobody told me about this, you know? Um, <clears throat> but I also want to encourage people that to know that even though it's a lot, just like marriage is a lot. And sometimes you feel like, oh, I want to make sure I'm prepared. It's just one of those things where you're never going to really be able to prepare for that. I mean, I mean, there's certain things you can do, but you know, it's, it has its challenges, but the reward is so great. Somebody asked me, you know, what made you want to have children during these dark times? Like nobody's ever asked me that. And I thought that was, that was a bit deep. This is a coworker. Mm-hmm. And it made me think, and I was like, well, you know, I want to have children because it's a dark time. I want to have children because I know that I can raise loving, positive human beings who can go out and be just as loving and encouraging and empathetic to other people around them. You know, we need more positivity in this world. Mm-hmm. why not bring a little baby in the world that's gonna shower the world with rainbows and sprinkles you know what I'm saying oh yeah <laughs> so I was just kind of like you know it doesn't have to be this um scary story you know yeah. it can turn out to be something very beautiful um and at the end of the day there is a tribe out there that isn't gonna judge you or be ready to shame you based on the decisions you make for you and your babies. There is a community of women out there who are ready to welcome you with open arms. Like this is a sisterhood. So you don't have to feel um, like you're alone. And if you can't find your sisterhood, go on and find me on IG or something. Call, <laughs> call Tia, you know, she could connect you with some other moms if she's not a mom by then. <laughs> oh, right. Because, um, it is truly a sisterhood, just like being a wife. And, mm-hmm. um, so I just want people to be encouraged and know that everything is going to be just fine. Well, thank you so much again, Madeline. I love that. And I totally agree. And that's why I try my best to share stories like yours and touch on topics that, you know, people aren't talking about and so that people can get a realistic view and idea of what motherhood and marriage and you know juggling you know various career choices and things like that moving to a new city like you know having a realistic view of what that looks like and learning Mm -hmm. from people like you story and you know so that when they're in this transition they kind of have somebody to refer back to to ask questions like you said like reach out to you reach out to me like you're not alone absolutely not alone, sis. Not you can alone. can do this. Yes, <laughs> you can do this. And on that note, we are out of here. Thanks again, Madeline. And thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. And until next time, talk to you later. Well, all right, friends. That's all I got. Until next time, thank you for tuning in to Women in Transition. I am your host, Tia Davidson. I hope you enjoyed the show. For show notes and submission of questions, please visit www.accordingtotia.com. But before you do that, 
can you do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast? And while you're there, leave a rating and a review on iTunes. I would really appreciate your feedback and your support. And if you're not already following me at According to Tia or at the Millennial Wives Club, you are missing out. I'll catch you on the next episode. I'm not afraid. See, I don't wanna block what God has for me. Watching what I feed my mind, good energy. Good energy. And I let go the people that's no good for me.